Well, we have been looking for the past number of weeks at one word, uh, grace. And this word is, is such a big deal, we want to devote six weeks to talking about one word. So you know that's something if, uh, if we're doing that. This week we're going to be looking at the idea of enriching grace. And the idea here is the grace to be able to give. And so God has, has empowered us to be able to be a giving people, not just to receive love, but to give love to others. So as you think about this idea uh, about giving, what undermines your ability or my ability to give to others? I think we can summarize it as two things. We're either unwilling or unable. So if you look at why you and I would struggle with giving, number one is we're unwilling. We just don't want to. We're too busy and uh, not sure that we care enough. Or we do care, maybe, but it's, uh, it just feels complicated. But it's about our motivation. And if we have a, a healthy motivation where we want to be able to give to others, the second problem would be that we feel unable, that somehow we just don't know what to do. And I listen to people's problems and I just get overwhelmed. Or I don't know how to start a conversation. Or I don't have much to give to others. I just don't feel like I have very much. And I don't feel able. Uh, Paul in his uh, letter to the Corinthian church, addresses both of these issues. And uh, Paul has kind of had a, uh, a kind of rocky relationship with one of the churches that he founded in this city called Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about these exact two things. Because what he is encouraging the Corinthian church to do is to give to the Judean church who's really going through a difficult time. And so he's reminding them of their commitment to give financially uh, to that church. And he addresses these two things. He addresses their motivation or their willingness and then their ability. Now listen to how he addresses their willingness. This is how Paul motivates people to be able to give. This is what he says in uh, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The principle is very, very common in the Bible, and it's simply this, that uh, we reap what we sow. And so if you sow generosity, that's what you reap. If you sow stinginess, that's what you reap. So think about this. Think about, uh, do you feel as though, vulnerable question, do you feel as though people are stingy towards you? stingy with their affection, with their time, with their resources? Do you feel that? Well, what this passage would suggest is that if you feel as though people are stingy towards you, it might be that you're stingy. And that they're just, uh, you're actually reaping what you're sowing. It's a really interesting thought. Uh, but don't worry, it gets worse. In Matthew <laughs> chapter 6, verse 14, this is what it says. Uh, that if we reap forgiveness, we only reap forgiveness if we sow it. So this now has eternal implications. This goes so far as to say, this principle of, of, of sowing and reaping, that if we don't sow, give away forgiveness to others, God isn't going to forgive us. Well, that's a little sobering. You could actually be excluded from going to heaven. You could experience hell because you lived a stingy life. You didn't give away forgiveness. And so God says, I won't give forgiveness to you. What a, that's a little sobering. This is Paul's motivational message for why he should give to a church is that uh, 
you will uh, you'll reap whatever you sow. Now, I just want to say a little caveat before we get into the main part of the, the sermon. Some people go, oh, so you give to get. So the only reason why you would give to others is so that you can get more in return. Well, that's actually the opposite of what's being said. Because if you're only giving to get, then that means you're selfish. You're sowing selfishness, and that means that you'll only reap selfishness. So uh, the only way is to have a healthy heart that longs to love, and as you do that, you'll receive love. So that's about the motivation. We won't go much more into that. But then Paul addresses our ability to be giving in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. Here's what he said. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I just love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's the ability that God is addressing here? It's God's ability. God's going to give you and I the ability to be loving people. So uh, there goes all of our excuses. Because God's grace has given us the ability to be able to love him and love others. Super good news. But here's the, uh, here's the problem. Or this is one way that we can view this grace that gives us the ability to love God and others. We can view grace as a tool pouch, tool bag. This is mine. Uh, I have a shop, and then I have this that I can carry around and, and do stuff with. And so I can sometimes see grace as being a tool bag. So I want to be able to love others, and I just, I don't have the tool. Oh, I have grace. And then what I do is I can pull out whatever I need out of God's tool bag of grace, and I can be able to love others in an effective way because he's given me the resources that I need in order to be a loving person. Does that sound familiar to you? That God helps us. He gives us resources, and, uh, and they're really good. Like they're just high quality, you know, eternal guarantee, whatever it is. But, uh, but this is the tool bag that God gives that's called grace. And in this tool bag, he gives both motivation as well as abilities to be able to be a loving person. Here's the problem that I have with that analogy. One is it's not what grace means. Grace is not a tool bag. We'll get to what it means in a moment. But my problem still remains. I don't want to use the tool bag. Uh, I don't know how to use the tools. Yeah, thanks. I mean, great. So those of you who are not, you know, mechanically inclined, and I say, I have a little, I have a little gift for you. You know, here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I remember uh, talking to your dad. He has one tool in his tool. It's uh, hockey tape. <laughs> it's the only thing that he ever fixes anything with. So this would be entirely unhelpful. So if, you do, if you're not mechanically inclined, I don't, I don't want to do it. And even if you give me the tools, I won't know what to do with that. I, it's just not helpful. So we can have this view of grace that, that God comes and says, great news, I've given you all that you need to love others. And you go, but I'm still stuck, not really wanting to, and don't know how to use what you give me. So now what are you going to do? Because my problem isn't your gifts. My problem is, is me and my motivation and my desire to be able to even use the things that you might want to give me. 
what is the, uh, what is the solution that God gives to deliver us out of our struggle with motivation and our struggle with skills in being able to love others. And uh, I can summarize this in one word, uh, Opa. Uh, Debbie's uh, dad, who we call Opa, he's, uh, he's really handy. And we have built, over the years, we've built tons of things together. We've remodeled houses and built stuff and repaired things. And, and so uh, I, have, I have one job phone Opa. Like, I just have, I have one thing to do, and I, I call up Opa, and I go, he goes, what would you like? And it's like, how'd you know? <laughs> you know, the, the dryer's broken. I'm wanting to put an addition on, or the, one of the latest things we did is we did, well, other people helped too, but we did a, put in a, a kitchen downstairs, and he's always, he's always helpful. He says, okay, I'll be there at 8 a.m. Saturday morning. And I go, really? 8 a.m. Saturday morning? Okay. We're going to start at 8 a.m. thought we were asleep in day, but nope. We're going to start at 8 a.m. And all I have to do is get him to the house, and my motivation and skills are solved just by his presence. Because there's no way if he's there, I'm just going to sit there, so I'm now motivated. And if it's not in my tool pouch, it'll be in his, but somehow we're going to get the job done. The answer to my problem is not about my motivation or skills, it's about having the right person with me. And when I have the right person with me, everything takes care of itself. So, uh, what if this is what grace is? We've been defining grace with this term, God's empowering presence. Now, when I've heard that term, I've heard that, I, I, I learned that term decades ago, and I really, really like it. It's much better than just, if you've grown up in the church, unmerited favor. It's a much bigger term. It's the empowering presence of God in our lives, enabling us to love God and to love others. Now, when I've heard that phrase, I've emphasized the first part of the phrase, empowering. Not really presence. It's empowering. So when I think of grace, I think of a toolkit that's going to give me the abilities to be able to do something. In fact, what God is giving me is not a tool bag. He's giving us his presence. His very presence is with us in whatever difficulties we would have in life. Uh, the, uh, he's willing, he's able, and it's way better than just some resources. So what's the point? The point is this. Our problem I don't know if we're going to believe this this morning. Our problem is not resources. It's not resources. Uh, if you're motivated, you can pretty much get all the resources you need. As a pastor, I could have a full-time job traveling around collecting resources. People just love equipping pastors for some reason. And so you just pay a little bit of money, go to the latest seminar, and I get a new toolkit. I can get one almost every week if I put my mind to it. I just get resources. You can, you can go to the, the bookstore. It's better yet to just go on YouTube. Anything you want, just you'll find out. Lots of resources. Pinterest? I don't know about Pinterest. Maybe you find it there too. I don't think your problem or mine 
is resources. I don't think the reason why I don't love people more is because I don't have a skill set. I hide behind that. I don't think it's my problem. And I hate to break it to you, I don't think it's yours either. I think what we need, instead of resources, is I think we need a person to be for us what we can't be for ourselves. I think we need a person to be for us what we can't be for ourselves. We talked a few weeks ago about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that uh, God's power, His grace, is made perfect in weakness. The, uh, the way that we access grace is not by being independent and strong. It's by being weak and needing a person. And so, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown person. I don't want to phone Opa. I don't want to be dependent on him. I want to be able to do things my own way. Uh, why would I be weak in that way? It just shows that I'm somehow insufficient. So I don't think about needing others. I think about how to be independent. Is that what you think about? Like if you have a problem, don't you, wouldn't you prefer to solve it inside of you first? Isn't that plan A? And then plan B is if that doesn't work, well, then I'll have to humble myself and, and get some outside help. What grace is, is a person who comes and is our strength, is our motivation and inspiration. It's a person who solves the problem, not a resource or toolkit. So here's what I think is a big issue. What if in the struggles in our life and in our desire to become more loving people, we're working on the wrong problems? Now let's be honest. If you think that you're not very loving or you'd like to be more loving, you've, uh, uh, you have parents, they're annoying you, and you go, Bible says to honor your mother and father. Nuts. Okay, I've got to become more loving. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, think happy thoughts about them. Okay, we played ball once when I was five. Okay, let's focus on that. You know, and we, we try to get a motivation that, that offsets how bugged we are with them. Isn't that what you try to do? Ah, oh, they're really not that bad. Other people have worse parents. We motivate ourselves. Or we... Uh, we, we try to uh, increase our ability to be loving. So we, we try harder to be, to be better listeners and to be more patient. And we work on our skill set. Now, isn't that what you and I do if we have a problem? It's so obvious, it, it just almost isn't worth saying. If you have a problem, you inspire yourself and then get some skills to solve that problem. It's just, it's just a no-brainer. And the gospel comes along and says motivation and skill set is actually not your deepest problem. Your deepest problem is you're separated from grace. You're separated from the presence of God. In fact, the harder you work on self-motivation and your skill sets, the more independent you become and the farther you are away from the solution that I'm offering you, otherwise known as myself, in you and with you. Yeah. This, this is the Christian message. The Christian message 
is not a better toolkit. If you want a toolkit, Buddhists can compete. Uh, somebody was just telling me the other day that in, in, uh, in jails uh, in the States, uh, Islam is becoming very popular. And the reason for this is quite simple. In Islam, it's just, it's very clear rules. It's, it's not the empowering presence of God, whatever that means. It's just do this to get that. Super clear. If you just want help, I'm not sure Christianity is your best option. It's all about love and relationships, super messy. Just get yourself a better toolkit. There's lots out there. But I think there's this whole other thing going on that God invites us into. And it's not about our motivation or our skills. Our job as Christians, and Christians do have a job, our job is switched from being an initiator, making a plan, executing, being an initiator, to being a responder. The primary job of a Christian is to be responsive to the presence of God in us and around us. That's what we do. It's what distinguishes us from all other people, is we have a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, and we are now one with the Father. And that relationship is the transforming characteristic of the Christian life. It's not a better toolkit. Well, I think it is a better toolkit also. But it's not the point. We still need to work hard. But we work on a different job. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Another one of my favorite verses. I worked harder than all of them. This is Paul speaking again. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I worked harder than all of them. Uh, Christians should work very hard. But yet not us, the power and presence of God in us is doing things that we couldn't do independently of God. Now I need to ask you, just could you please be honest with yourself, do you think this way? Do you think about the main thing that's going on in any given moment is recognizing that the presence of God is with you? Is that the, do, the default first response to any given issue. I, uh, I struggle with anxiety. And so anxiety for me is a gift from God because it reminds me that I've forgotten his presence. That's what anxiety does for me. So I can feel, anxiety feels, it starts about here and then it's, it comes right into my forehead. I can feel it. And it's, a, it's dizzying for me. And it starts here, and it starts to work its way up. And I said, oh. So I'm anxious, and my typical solution to anxiety is to inspire myself to be better, and then to find some skills to improve this moment. Get smarter somehow. Work harder somehow. And I forget that what anxiety 
is, is supposed to remind me of is I've forgotten the presence of God in this moment. I've just forgotten him. I've just said, no, I, I got this one. I can handle this. Thank you. I mean, thank you. Like, you know, I'm grateful and all, but I really can do this. I've done it a thousand times. What if our problem is trying to figure out how to be a responder instead of an initiator? I've said this before, just because it was so shocking and graphic to me that I remember uh, in Jonah's school, the old vice principal saying, the goal of this school is to create uh, independent students who can think for themselves, act for themselves, be personally responsible. And I remember that speech and thinking, oh dear God, what are you doing to our society? As if the problem of a Westerner is to become more independent. As if that's our problem. That is not our problem. That for sure, that is not my problem. I love independence. I mean, I like friends, but when it comes down to being in control of my life, I wanna be in control. I don't wanna give away control. I don't wanna trust somebody else. That's, that freaks me out. The, uh, the, the theme of this series, and Manda, I want you to get this. Brother Lawrence, uh, there's, a, there's a great tiny book. If, you, if you're not a reader, just this is a tiny one, so you can say you read a book this year. Uh, Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. I love the title. I read it years and years ago. And I love the title. The theme of this series is to practice responding to the presence of God in our life. Being aware of his presence and then living in response to him. My friends, this will revolutionize your life. If you can practice living in response to God in any given moment, it will change your life. Radically. Not necessarily will you have uh, more internal motivation or better skill sets, but you're with him, and he has all that and more. Today's uh, example from St. Corinthians chapter 9 is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church about money, that they should give not just of their time, in their heart, but they should give their money. That's what it should look like. If you've given your heart, they say, Paul says, and then it should look like giving some money. Now, this to me is just talk about driving the point home. Because when I, when I grew up thinking about grace, grace was just a spiritual idea. Uh, you know, what, what's the, the phrase? Money doesn't grow on trees. What are you going to do? Pray for money? No, you work for money. Come on. And if you're not working for money, motivate yourself. Like, when it comes down to it, grace is irrelevant. For, most of, for, for large chunks of our life, grace is just irrelevant. What really matters is if I can inspire myself to get a better skill set and make more money, and that's how it works. 
But what if what's really going on is I'm stingy? That the real problem is not the amount of money I have, it's how I treat money. I treat it in a stingy way. And the answer to stinginess is grace. Grace is the presence of God that sets us free from having to have a self-contained, self-controlled world. It opens us up to the presence of God, the creator of the universe, who is not lacking in any way. And he comes to us and says, can I please, please set you free from your stingy life? That you make decisions purely based on your reasoning, on your abilities, on what you can manage. And I love that it's about money because money is so practical. If we were talking today about sharing our faith, you should say, yeah, I should get around to that. No, Jesus, if you wouldn't mind helping me, I could appreciate it because I don't know how much I care for the lost. And I feel a little bit insecure talking about you. And so I guess your presence would really help me. But it's kind of like, you know, do I want an extra topping on the ice cream? It's It's not core. Can you imagine what the church would be like if the the central, pivotal, practical, concrete areas of our life would be transformed by Christians recognizing the presence of God in something as practical as money. I think it would change the world. And then we would no longer be giving in stingy ways, we'd be giving in generous ways because the presence of God has transformed our hearts. And so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we would abound in every good work. Well, that's a different kind of person. You know, I, I, listen, to, uh, I listen to pastors, and it could be me, uh, motivating you to participate in, in church life, you know? And so here's what we do. We just make it as small as possible. We use little words. You know, it will only, like, uh, you know, it's only a 20-minute class. It's not a 30-minute class, because we know that it's just a 20, <laughs> 20 minutes. And we're going to take care of your children, because I know, and, and, uh, and we'll tell jokes. <laughs> like, we're just, and then, and then if you sign up, you just have to put a little tick. We won't even ask for blood, nothing, just a little tick. And then we're going to, and then you'll volunteer for kids' church, and it'll just be once every six weeks. How can you argue with once every six? And they're nice children, well, by and large. And, uh, and it's not going to be that bad. It's just once every six weeks. Everybody's got to do something they don't like. This is yours. Uh, but don't worry. We, we're going to make it as simple as possible. Because I'm sorry, we just assume you're stingy. It's just the assumption that leaders have. We just assume that uh, we care more about this more than you do. Isn't that horrible? So disrespectful of you. And even more disrespectful of the, of the presence of God in your lives. But what if we could change this? What if you and I were no longer stingy? What if you and I believed that the presence of God could change something 
as important as money. And what if the place that you would start practicing the presence of God would not be in evangelism, although, yeah, I mean, you can do that, you can do whatever you want, but what if it was as practical as how you would give financially? And it would become a, 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 a practice moment of what does it look like to really need grace? What does it look like to really need the presence of God? Debbie and I have been practicing this for years. And uh, I can just, I, I can, I mean, there's just, there's many, many examples of, of, of Debbie and I looking at each other and, and we both know what we need to do right now. We need to bless somebody financially. Um, we, just, we just know that that's the appropriate thing to do. <clears throat> but I tell you, you know, if I hear another financial management course about how I should be stingy, and we'll call it stewardship, because stingy is not a nice word. We'll call it stewardship. Isn't that better? I feel better when I say stewardship. I'm going to be a good steward of my money, which means I'm not giving it to you. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to keep as much of it to myself, and I'm going to figure out how to, how, to, how to have a budget and follow that budget. Like, for sure that's good advice, right? Like, you guys, just 101, don't spend more than you have. Like, it, it, that's all you really need to know. I just saved you 150 bucks. For your, just don't spend more than you have. It's, the, it's just that simple. But what if there's a whole other thing going on that your father is saying, can you trust me in what really matters? Can you be generous with your money and your time? And then you will be catapulted into an eternal dimension of what life is meant to be. It's called the kingdom of God. And you would find yourself with joy being generous and with joy receiving. And money would get redeemed, not because you managed it better, but because you invited me into the presence of it. It was my presence that will transform it, not a skill set. I was meeting with some preachers the other day, and I was saying that when I preach, I work very hard at not having an application, and maybe you can tell. I'm not interested at the, that the conclusion of a sermon would be, here's the three ways you can overcome depression or overcome lust. And you just have to do these three things, and I'm going to inspire you with super cool stories because I believe that it's all about your motivation and your skills. I don't believe that. I believe that it's not about that. It's about needing Jesus in a moment. And then he will be way more creative than I can about how to apply his presence to your life. And it can't be summarized in a technique. It's, it's him. And I so struggle as a pastor to communicate what's really going on. And I try not to make it about a, a better to-do list or an inspiring story. And I get told all the time I should tell better inspiring stories. And you're right, I should work on that. I'm, I'm going to try. It's good advice. It really is. <laughs> but, but while I'm working on that, would you please know what's really going on? 
God. Need him practically in your life. And everything will change. What's the most difficult part of your life? I'm sure money is up there. I think it's everybody's problem. We always want more. Jesus, I invite you into my finances. I've been stingy or irresponsible. I've been both, for sure. I don't want my solution to be QuickBooks. I want my solution to be that I've laid my finances at your feet and I have come into your presence and I've found peace there so that I don't have to be as greedy. I don't have to be always making sure that there's going to be enough for my latte. I want you to be in my money. And so I baptize my finances with your presence, God. And I want to see you here. And when I can see you here, it's going to transform how I view what I have and what I do with it. And maybe a, a spreadsheet is going to help me. But it was, it was only helpful because it was in response to what you were calling me to do. Because now I'm in, I'm in conversation with you. Opa's come in the building. Opa's now here. And I'm no longer alone. I'm with you working this out. Can you hear this? I'm not trying to give you, God's word is not giving you a better skill set and inspiring stories. It's an introduction to a relationship, a relationship that is defined by grace. Can we have the worship team come up, please? Father, You know how hard it is for me to live this, let alone speak it. But I know that I'm saved when you're there. And I know I'm cursed when you're not. And I think about those stories in the Old Testament that says when they would go to war, if you don't go with us, even if we go and and win, I don't want to go unless you would go with us they knew something of the presence of God. And now it's become about who has the, the biggest gun or the, the best techniques. It just seems like an analogy to me. And Father, we want your presence. We want your presence in our finances, in our time, in our sexuality, in our emotions, in our thoughts, We want your presence to drench our lives. We don't want to just have a a resource kit. We want you. And so we, we open our hands and hearts to you. We say, come, Spirit of God, fill us with your presence. Meet us in this place. Thank you, Jesus.